Um, we're going to continue this series um, through the five M's. Uh, we're at the fourth M today, um, and we're looking at ministry. So we looked at magnification. Uh, we looked at membership. Uh, we looked at maturity. And today we're looking at membership. Um, and as we begin, I just want to uh, give a quote from this book I read this week um, about ministry. It's quite a long quote, but I think it'll be uh, really encouraging and helpful for us. Um, so the quote kind of, it goes like this. Uh, as you select the ministry that's right for you, uh, consider elements like how much of your free time it will suck up, oh, how much sorry, glory. Sorry to cut you off. Can you remove that build order thing? It's covering part of the screen. Oh, what, what, what? There's a build order tab that's showing. Oh, okay. Is it better now? Yep, yeah, all good. All right, thanks, yeah. Daniel. You, you were so dependent on you for technical stuff. Um, all right, let me go. As you select ministry, that's right for you. Consider elements like how much of your free time it will suck up, how much glory you will get for your work, and how well it pays. Uh, with a little prayer and meditation, God will surely lead you to the ministry that fits you like a nice cashmere sweater and also earns you the praise of man. Right, no matter what ministry you serve in, remember the golden rule. Let everyone else do all the heavy lifting. We mean this literally. Right. If the potluck is wrapping up and people are tearing down tables and chairs, stand off to the side and engage in spiritual conversations about the things of God. Should someone dare approach you and ask if you'd lend a hand, hit them with a zinger like, oh, sorry, I was just over here discussing the gospel-centered gospel with a brother in the Lord. I didn't realize you didn't care about Jesus at all. Another approach will be to tell them that your spiritual gift is encouragement rather than actually working. Then give him a pat on the back and say, nice job, buddy. I'm really impressed with your servant's heart. You look holy and they do all the labor. It's a win-win. This is fundamental, people. If church is all about you, see chapter one, then the pastor and the rest of the hundreds of people in the church staff should be waiting on you hand and foot, not asking you to do a bunch of lame stuff. Okay, so obviously this is a, this is satirical. I think it's, it's, it's a joke. Uh, this is from a book called How to Be a Perfect Christian. I don't know if you guys have heard of the Babylon Bee. It's like a website and they post up this kind of satirical stuff. And this is a book that they put up. And I don't know about you, as I read this, um, it kind of makes me laugh and also kind of makes me wince uh, because it's outrageous and at the same time, uh, very close to being true at some points. So I don't know if you've ever thought or felt, you know, some of these things that I was quoted there. I, I don't know if it's in this church, hopefully not, but there's definitely people out there um, in the churches or not in churches who think this way, right? Why do we have to serve? Right? Why are people so busy at church? You know, what's the purpose of all of their ministries? Uh, are we paying the pastor to do the jobs? How come, you know, people in the church are doing this stuff, etc.? Right, all of these questions surrounding ministry. And so today we're going to look at ministry, this idea of serving one another, whether uh, officially or unofficially, right? Whether through organized means and teams, like the ministry teams we have at church, or organic means in your everyday relationship. I've got three points uh, today. Uh, we're going to look at who, who does the ministry. That's verse four to twelve. The why. Right, why are we doing ministry? What's the goal? That's verse 13 to 14. And then verse 15 to 16, we're looking at the how. Right? How then should we act in ministry? So number one, let's look at who. Who does the ministry? Um, 
very quickly, uh, when we start from verse 4, um, the verses talk about this idea we've looked at before, unity and diversity. It kind of uh, portrays that tension. And we've looked at it in the membership sermon. We've looked at this in the Acts series. Uh, so I'll be quick, but in verse 4 to 6 here, uh, look at the repetition, right? There is one body, there's one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And you can probably tell Paul's repeating one word seven times. It's the word one. And a part of his purpose is to emphasize our unity in this commonality that we have. Um, this isn't just any sort of unity. Uh, this is a unity that comes from uh, being united with Christ, right? All of these things are related uh, to our union with Jesus. And then uh, he goes on, verse 7, we have the diversity. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, Paul pivots here from unity to diversity. He used the word one to emphasize unity, but now he kind of does a word play. And now he says, but each one of us right, have been given this uh, grace to the measure of Christ's gift. Right? There is, he's saying, a diversity in gifts, right? That's what he's going to go on to say. Now, verse 8 to 10, we're just going to skim through this. I've got quite a lot to say today, so I'm going to talk pretty fast. Um, but you know, in verse 8 to 10, he's quoting Psalm 68, and he's attributing that Old Testament psalm to Jesus, right? He's saying Jesus is the victor in the war. And just like when you claim victory in a war, you give your spoils to your followers. He's saying Jesus, who is victor, is now giving his spoils or his gifts to us and that gift comes in terms of spiritual gifts right our gifts to then serve one another and i've just got two quick things i want to say about this uh, you've probably heard me say this but with gifts i like to say everyone has one uh, but no one has everyone right with gifts everyone has one the verse says grace was given to each one of us so every single one of us, if we are believers in Jesus, have been gifted right, by the Spirit through Christ, a gift, right? We have something to contribute. And so none of us should ever say, you know, I have nothing to give to the church. I, I have no place here. And we've talked about that in the membership sermon. Um, and sometimes we think that's humility, like, you know, oh, no, I'm not that very talented. You know, I, I'm not very good at anything. Uh, but that's not really humility. Uh, that's just not true. Right? That's not honoring really to the giver of our gifts. And the second thing is uh, no one has everyone. No one person has all the gifts that they can build the church by themselves, right? These gifts are, it says, according to the measure of Christ's gift. And the whole point that he's going to go on to say is we are diverse. We have our own specific gifts and roles in the church. And so just an encouragement here is, well, let's not compare our gifts with someone else's. Or let's not compare the amount of gifts we have, maybe one talent, to those who seem to have like a hundred talents and are good at everything. Right? And the second thing is, uh, let's understand that God's um, intention for the strength of the church is not for it to be displayed in a few superstars. Right? God doesn't want a church where it's like, you know, just one or two amazing people and that's what it's all about. Um, but God intends for the church to be filled with people using all of their gifts, right? That's how the church is meant to run. As Paul continues in verse 11 to 12, uh, he's going to go on from the diversity of gifts 
than to say diversity of roles, right? Talk about how these gifts lead to the specific roles that happen in the church. And so verse 11 to 12, he says, and God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. Now, I, I had like a whole bunch of stuff to say about this and I'm just going to go through it quickly again because like the sermon ended up being quite long, but um, very quickly, um, the list of names, the first two apostles and prophets, uh, these are now closed offices, right? They are no longer functioning. There's no modern day apostles or prophets. And I'm talking about the office, uh, not the gift. So uh, not the gift of prophecy, that's something else. And whether you believe that happens or not, it's something else. I'm not talking about that. The office of the prophet and the apostle has ceased. Uh, the apostle and the prophet, primarily their role was to make God's word known. And we no longer need that because we have the all complete sufficient scriptures. And so if you go to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 20, uh, you can go in your spare time. It basically says our foundation is Christ. He's the cornerstone, right? And what he's done is finished. And then he says, and the apostles and the prophets, right? Their work in you know, giving us the revelation of God is complete. It's our foundation. And what we're doing is we're building now on top of that. Okay, so apostles and prophets no longer um, active as an office. And then you have evangelists, shepherds, teachers, saints. Uh, very quickly, evangelists, that comes from the word euangelion in Greek. Um, and so they are people who then proclaim this uh, euangelion, and that's the word for gospel. So they're people who evangelize, right? They preach the gospel. Now, we're all meant to do the work of evangelism. Again, that's the activity. But in terms of the office of an evangelist, right, those are those, uh, the people who are particularly gifted and called by God to, to just go around and evangelize. Right? That's what they do with their whole life. We all do it, but that's kind of their primary focus. And you might think of like famous people uh, like Billy Graham. He was an evangelist. That's what he did. He didn't kind of uh, pastor a church. He didn't disciple people. Like without, not that we know of him. His main thing was proclaim the gospel in different places. Right, next, we have shepherds and teachers. Um, this in itself should be its own sermon. I think I'll come back to this idea, um, but uh, most commentators would say that this is one office. It's not shepherds and teachers, even though that's what our English translation says, but it's shepherd teachers or shepherds who teach. Um, not that that really matters, but this is where we get the word pastor from. Right? The word pastor is actually uh, not in the Bible. Uh, the word for shepherd in Latin is pastor. That's where we get the word pastor. So I'm a shepherd. But also in the Bible, uh, shepherds are elders. And so I'm an elder. I don't know if you knew. I'm, a, uh, I'm an overseer. And that, those roles are interconnected. I just happen to be a teaching elder uh, who is being paid. And then you've got the elders who are not paid. And we'll come back to this because it's quite important uh, in relation to governance and how we're structured. And then we have verse 12 the saints, which is the congregation, the church. Okay, does that make sense? Now, this is the main thing I want to ask. Who does the work of ministry? Right, that's the, the who, the, the, the point. When you think about all the activity and all that's happening in the church, behind the scenes, right, on the Sundays, whose job is it to get all these things done? Now, you probably saw the answer, but you know, in some churches, or for some people, the thought is that, that's the work of the pastor or the shepherd um, to do ministry. I mean, we pay them 
to do it, right? We call them ministers. So ministry must be what the ministers do, right? And the congregation are those who come to be served by the ministers. But if you look at verse 11 to 12, what he's saying is that those leaders in verse 11, they equip the saints, that's the church, for the work of ministry. And so I've just got two quick things to say. Number one, everyone serves. Right? The work of ministry is not done completely by the shepherds. It's not even done mostly by the shepherds. The way that Paul talks about it is that the work of ministry is done by the saints. And so despite the misleading term ministers, ministry is done by the church. God has designed the church to depend on the vital work of the congregation, the covenant members for the church to exist. And so when you are called to Christ, you are called to the work of ministry. And this isn't just me trying to like offload my work so I can sit back and watch movies. this This is what Paul's saying, right? You can go look in the Bible. Um, and so the church isn't like a restaurant where we come and the consumers pay some of their money, like their tithes, and wait on the staff, right, who are running around the background to make us happy, right? The church is a totally different kind of organism. organism. It works differently than that. And so serving in a church uh, is not going above and beyond. And so um, I'm very grateful for everyone who serves. And you know, I don't want you to kind of misunderstand that. Um, but biblically, serving in a church is, is just what Christians are meant to do. Uh, some of us, we think that serving is for the, the, those extra committed, gung-ho Christians. And you know, it's not for all the Christians. It's just for some of the Christians. But that's not what the Bible says. Right? Biblically, if you're a saint, you're a servant like your Savior. A a healthy church then sees the majority of its members serving and not just the minority. And I don't have to say this to you guys. Um, Obviously, you're here in the church plant sacrificing a lot. um, And I'm really, really thankful for everything you guys are doing. Um, But this is just just for us to know in terms of a culture. This is the culture we're trying to set. Everyone serves. And I'll come back to this uh, later on. And the second thing I want to say is that the shepherds equip. Right, so the work of the ministry is accomplished by the saints and the role of the leaders or the shepherds I'm talking about, particularly in the church, uh, is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And the equipping of the saints um, means a few things, um, but a core part of what it is, is teaching the scriptures. And so if you look at 2 Timothy 3, it says that all scripture is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete. Equipped, there's that word, for every good work. And so the scriptures are enough to equip us for our work. And so the shepherds, we we expound and we teach the scriptures so that the saints might be equipped with the word and then do our work. And so when everyone serves, the shepherds can equip because we have the time and freedom to do that. If you think about Acts chapter 6, when they were busy, they delegated some roles so that they could focus on what they needed to do. And when the shepherds equip, everyone can serve because they are equipped to do it. Um, And so who does the ministry? The saints and the shepherds equip. You know, I was actually really encouraged two days ago um, for someone uh, in the legal team. I won't say who, because I didn't ask for their permission. They might get embarrassed, but they basically kind of said this to me. They said, look, I'll take care of the legal stuff. We'll take care of it. You don't worry about it. Um, So you have the time 
and energy to focus on the stuff that you need to, like vision and people. And there's three people in the legal team, so um, that wasn't much of a secret. But um, yeah, I was really encouraged by that because you know, they understood the dynamics of the way the church works. And we'll come back to this idea of ministry and full-time, full-time ministry and elders, I think at a later time. But that's who does ministry. Uh, number two, why? Right, what's the goal of ministry? Why are we even serving and giving up our time and energy right, in these teams, um, preparing things behind the background? What's the goal? The answer Paul gives in these next uh, two verses uh, is unity and maturity. Right, he says this, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, that's the first one, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, right, that's the second one, maturity, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, I've talked about both of these in the last two weeks, right? Unity, I talked about in membership, this idea how we're family, we're a faith family, right? And so we're kind of joined together, we gather in that way. I talked about maturity last week, how we're uh, meant to behold Jesus, then we become like Jesus, right? If we look to him, we will look like him. We're meant to grow. I just want to point out that growth is through the knowledge of the Son of God, right? That's us beholding Him, knowing Him, will become like Him. And, you know, I don't know, as I was kind of preparing my sermon, I stopped and I was like, you know, why unity and maturity? Why out of everything the Apostle Paul could have said, this is our goal, did he say these two? And I asked myself, if all we accomplished in our ministries was create unity and maturity, uh, would that be enough? And the answer is, is yes. That's all we're trying to do, really. It's, it's create unity and maturity within the church. I'm not uh, including God, right, who's up there. That's magnifying him. I'm not thinking about those people out of the church who are out there, right? That's mission. But in the church, all we're trying to do is gather and grow, right? All we're trying to do is create unity and maturity. Right, so we've got the five M's. You take out magnification, God's up there. Take out missions, that's, they're out there. This is getting really precarious. Um, but we've got then um, membership, maturity, and ministry is then us trying to just make these two things happen. Right? We're trying to help people gather and grow. Right? Does that make sense? Sunday service, we gather as one body and preaching, prayer, fellowship, praise. We're trying to grow in Jesus. We magnify God, but just in the church, we're gathering and growing. Right? Newcomers events, we're leaning more toward gathering than growing, but we're still trying to build those relationships so that they might stay, and through those relationships, they might grow. Growth groups, leaning now more toward growing. We gather, but the focus is growth, right? that we might grow in ministry. And again, ministry, we then go back into those teams to help others gather and grow. And even admin teams, whether you're finance, real estate, you're in tech comms or legal, it might not seem like what you're doing is very spiritual, but you are a crucial cog in the facilitation and furthering of unity and maturity of the church, right? Well, that's all we're trying to do as a church in all of our serving. We're trying to gather people and grow them. And again, mission is our response to those out there who aren't gathering and growing. We want them to gather and grow, so we go. Right, so we might bring them here, that they might gather and grow. And so really, this is what the church is about. And we gather, we grow, we go for God's glory. Right? That's what we do. Right? Do you like that? 
this is me testing a possible vision statement because I'm really in insecure about that stuff. You know, shoot me a message if, if you liked it. If you didn't like it, you can tell me you know, two days later. Right? That's always a rule. If you don't like a sermon, don't tell them on the Sunday. Don't tell them on the Monday. Tell them on the Tuesday. Right? Give them a bit of space. All right, but that's why we do ministry, right? Unity, maturity. We want to foster deeper unity and greater maturity. We want to gather and grow. Why is this important? You know, if the saints don't go and help, right? If we don't do ministry and make gathering and growing happen, the result is that the people in the church uh, will kind of be in a very dangerous place and potentially spiritually die, right? That, that's the end result if we don't do this. Paul says in verse 14, this is what we're avoiding, that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Right? The, the picture Paul gives is that if we're not serving and helping people gather and grow, we're going to be like children, you know, like unstable, shaken in our faith, tossed around by the trials of life, false teaching and the unbelieving world. And the, the result is when you think about a child kind of thrown around by a dangerous world, uh, the fear is that they might not survive. Right? When I think about, you know, Reuben, he wouldn't survive. Here he is. Hi. Okay. Um, when I think about Reuben, he won't survive you know, out on the street right? as a child. Uh, people would take advantage of him. Um, he can't fend for himself, provide, protect himself. And so what he needs and what we all needed when we grew up was unity and maturity. We needed people to gather around us and to be for us what we can't be for ourselves and then to help us grow in maturity. So one day we can take care of ourselves. Right, so for Reuben, he needs you know, the, the parents or whoever to, to gather around him and provide for him unity. Right? You've got the family unit, whether that's parents, grandparents, relatives, siblings, or even friends. Right? This is us gathering around him because he can't feed himself. He can't you know, pay for food. You know, we need to do that for him. And that's exactly the same for younger Christians. They need people to gather around them and provide for them and feed them because they can't really do that for themselves, right? This is membership. And as we gather around them, what we're able to then facilitate is the growth. This is the maturity, right? One day, hopefully, Reuben will, will mature, but he can't do that himself either. He needs the help of, you know, the people around him that he might grow into a stable, strong adult who can then go out and survive in the world, right? And as maturity increases, his dependence on you know, other people will decrease, but all that means is that he would then get to a point where he's ready to be a parent himself, right? In the Christian kind of analogy I'm using, the, the Christian who's young would be ready then to then go back out and do ministry, to take care of other people and provide the gathering and the growing for other people. Does that kind of make sense? If we don't um, serve in ministry and provide this, what will end up happening is that every person who steps into the church as a child will not be taken care of and they will spiritually die. And the church will not grow. Uh, the people in the church won't grow. Um, and it'll either grow smaller or it'll just be the same people for years to come.
Right? This is why it's so important that we serve in ministry because people are dependent on other people right, to survive. We need to facilitate the gathering and the growing. All right, number three, how do we do ministry then? In verse 15 to 16, uh, Paul talks about you know, how we do this. And there's two things here as well. Uh, we've got works and then we have words. Verse 15, rather speaking truth in love, there's the words, uh, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Again, this is this idea of we want to mature. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, is the work, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in life, in love. Everything we do in ministry, or really everything we kind of do in life is, is kind of like works and words, right? In, in words, in ministry, we're speaking, preaching, teaching, we pray, we discuss, we exhort, we encourage, we make decisions. And then in works, we act on those decisions. We implement, we create, we execute, we build, we code on the computer, etc. We've got words, we have works. And so let me just quickly go through these good works first. You know, much of what I've talked about until now has really been about works, right? The work of ministry. Uh, the examples I've given is about us doing stuff. I just want to point out again, even in verse 16, we've got this idea of the members need to be equipped, right? Which it is equipped, right? That's by the, the, the shepherds. And then this idea of the body working, right? When each part is working. Again, the saints are doing the work of ministry. And when it's done properly, it says the body builds itself up in love. And the implication is that if there is no equipping, if there is no working of the saints, then the body will not build itself up in love. Uh, the implication is that we won't be in unity because the body isn't functioning as one and we won't grow in maturity, right? We won't build ourselves up. Coming back to this idea um, of everyone serving, you know, I really want like this church to have a culture where everyone is a servant, right? Not necessarily serving in official ministries all the time, um, even though it's important, maybe the season of life doesn't allow it, but at least um, in your organic relationships, thinking of, of serving each other, right? To have a general sacrificial serving attitude where we're radically generous, right? I've talked about each part doing their role to help each other. And hopefully by creating, you know, the helping hands group, we've talked about this, we can kind of further that culture where everyone is serving, right? Whether it's I volunteered to fold bulletins for a special event and you just, you know, maybe give up two hours to do that. Do snacks once a quarter on a Sunday, right? I just choose to give a care package to someone because I know that they're struggling, right? You, join the Christmas skit or the choir, or you serve as a core member of a ministry team, whatever it looks like, this idea where just everyone is serving. I mean, I'd love for people um, when they come in and they become Christians, just to kind of get plugged in or see just an, a flurry of activity around the church. And like all these culture breaking and making endeavors, uh, that begins with us and that begins now, right? We all need to engage and do good works, right? Because without good works, the body is not moving. There will be no unity or maturity. The second thing, I'll spend a little bit more time on this and then we're done, is good words. 
I've talked a lot about this, um, this idea of speaking truth in love, um, whether it's in your team meetings, uh, your debriefing events, or you're just doing accountability, uh, we need to speak truth in love. Uh, Warren Wisby, he said it like this, uh, it has been said that truth without love is brutality, but love without truth is hypocrisy. You know, I, I, I think that's a great quote. Um, truth without love is brutality, and it's probably a few other things as well. Um, but if you're speaking truth, but it's not with love, uh, then why are you saying it in the first place? Right? If, if it's not out of love, if it's not thinking about the other person, um, then you're either just trying to prove a point, or you're just trying to show how much you know, which is self-glorifying, right? It's loving yourself, not them. Or it's trying to put someone down, right? It might be true, but you're just trying to cut them with the truth. Um, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, right? So we need to speak with love. But the truth needs to be shaped by love. And so even the truth of the gospel, when we preach it, uh, should be in love to the person hearing it, right? Or else we've missed the very heart of the gospel we're preaching. Right? And so when you preach the gospel, it's not just about you know, smashing people with the truth, but you want to speak it out of love. And that love will determine how you say it or, and when you say it. Right? Second, uh, love alone without truth. Right? If all you have is love, uh, but you don't speak truth, then you're probably not loving at all. Right? Because love will, most of the time, speak the truth. Right? And th that's why he says um, love alone without truth is hypocrisy because right? it's not real love. Often our avoidance of truth is loving, but it's because we love ourselves. And we want to avoid the awkwardness, or we don't want to feel bad by saying the truth. Right? We, we love, but we, we're not loving them, we're loving ourselves. And so Proverbs 27.6, it says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Right, the wounds of a friend is faithful when a loving friend comes to you and says the harsh word that you need to hear. And so when we think about truth in love, what I tell myself is, you know, is this helpful for them in the long run? Right, that's, what I, that's what I try to figure out. Um, is this helpful for them? Right, because truth in love um, should help them you know, grow and love Jesus better. Um, does this, um, are you speaking? How do you know? Are you speaking for their sake and <laughs> not your own? Sorry, you're just like all over the place right now. Um, this is really important, truth and love. And the reason why it's important is um, truth in love will foster maturity and unity. But when we don't speak truth in love, we will lose maturity and unity. Right? And let me explain what I mean. Without truth, we lose maturity. If our goal in ministry is maturity and unity, we need to speak truth because truth is what um, helps the other person grow. Right? When you think about sin or the gospel, right? when you start your Christian life, it's truth, sometimes a difficult truth, but that's what gets them you know, to salvation. And when you encourage someone and it's true, you're helping them continue doing uh, what is good right? and what honors God. Or sometimes it's a difficult truth and you need to exhort someone point out a weakness flaw, uh, maybe say, you know, I don't think, you know, you fit in this ministry because I don't know if that's your gift. I mean, that's hard, but that will help them to, to grow. 
right? And accountability, you, you need to speak the truth and be like, hey, you, you, need to, you need to get off your butt, right? You need to do something sometimes, right? Because that helps people grow. But at the same time, if you don't have love, we'll, use, we'll lose unity, right? So our goal is maturity and unity. So we need to speak truth and love because again, without love, you'll create division. But people won't gather without love. People won't grow without truth, but they won't gather without love. Right? Always speaking the brutal truth, unless it's shaped by love, will just hurt people, push them away. It will crush them in guilt. It will create a culture of fear and judgment, but not that you care anyway, because you don't love them. Right? We need the love if we want unity. When we think about culture, um, we all find ourselves leaning toward one or the other. We're easier with truth or we're easier with love. And we need to balance that if we want to, as a church, be healthy and grow toward maturity and unity. You know, in, uh, I joined Rebecca Hahn's growth group a few weeks ago. A bunch of people, great people were there. I really enjoyed it. Um, and someone said here, I think it was the same person who, um, who was from the legal team, but they were saying that maybe because of our Korean culture, uh, we, we kind of resort to stuff like flattery. Um, as we talk to other people. So like we flatter in front of your face and then we're secret about our own uh, issues. And then uh, we gossip about you behind closed doors. And it's like kind of really messed up, um, but that's kind of what, what we do. And um, I don't know if that's a Im immigrant thing, a Korean culture thing, if you're Korean here. Um, but I, I see that a lot um, uh, at New Life uh, when we were there. And so I think that's something we need, we need to break. Um, in order to be a true faith family um, and to gather closer together and grow closer to Christ, uh, we need to kind of do better in this area. I've touched on this idea, like public cheerleading, private critic, uh, but we need to eliminate and not tolerate amongst ourselves things like trolling, gossiping, slander, uh, words of judgment, you know, cutting people down. Like we, we just need to kind of to stop that um, if we want to, as a church, be one and grow together. And I also think we need to be better at just being honest with, that, with each other and about what we're struggling with, right? Truth in love. You know, the greatest thing about words is uh, they're free. Right? Words are powerful because they're free and they're unlimited. They don't require any special gift. They don't take a lot of time and energy. They don't cost much at all, if anything, right? Even an SMS now is basically unlimited. And yet they have such a great impact on the person hearing. Now, when you think about it, it's, it's such a tremendous tool that we have, our, our, our words. Right? You can just send a message, um, takes five seconds to think about it. But for the hearer, they're like, oh, so encouraged for the whole week of that, that the words that cost you so little and took you so little time to say. Right? Words are powerful in that way. And so let's use them well, um, lovingly and in truth. Right? It takes so little from us, but gives so much to the person who hears it. Let me close uh, with a quote from uh, Bonhoeffer. You might know Bonhoeffer. Ask not what you can do for your church. Ask what your church can do for you. Now that's a joke as well. That's a joke. That's from the book that I quoted at the start. Um, he didn't really say that. I got confused for a while as well. Um, the summary of the sermon is this. Who does the work of ministry? The saints. Right? And the leaders, the pastors, we equip. And why are we doing all this ministry? To foster greater unity and maturity, we want to gather and grow so we're not like children, right? So we can kind of nourish and nurture everyone to become mature adults. 
Um, and third, how do we do this? Good works and good words, right? Everyone serves and we speak truth in love. Um, that's the sermon. And we're going to go into a bit of ministry sharing. Um, oh, that's just maturity. Okay, ignore that slide. Um, I wish I could, I'm going to go back. Okay. Uh, we have a lot of ministries going on. A lot of them have already shared because they fall under the other five M's, whether that's magnification, membership, etc. cetera. Uh, we have a bunch of ministry teams in the background, like the admin ministries. Uh, they're doing so much to prepare. Um, and we're going to ask all the admin people to share um, later on in a few weeks. Um, and so we've got a separate time for the admin uh, group. Um, but today I want to ask Joan to share. Uh, she's creative ministry uh, because creative ministry, oh, is kind of, I guess, their own thing. And so, uh, Joan? Hi, everyone. Um, I will be leading the creative team. Um, we're at the church. So, give you a brief on what the, in the long run, uh, as a team, as uh, Jesus taught parables to communicate truth, as a design team, we want to tell stories and most importantly God's stories uh, including stories in our church stories of our church and bringing stories and illustrations to life with pastors uh, although design team like being part of the team might seem like we don't quite serve relationally with the newcomers uh, or the congregation but nothing is more common than to hear the stories of how God is at work in the lives mm -hmm. of our people mm -hmm. uh, so the, the design team will play a significant role in what people see and experience on Sunday mornings. So coming up to our launch, our team will be getting ready to make a first good impression, especially the first time visitors. So they don't want to ever miss a service. Um, things we'll be working on are creating visual identity and everything that will visually represent us as a church, which will create a cohesive atmosphere on our Sunday service. So currently, our core team consists of awesome five members, including Michelle, Annie, Eunice, Will, and myself. Um, so we had our first meeting this week, sharing our thoughts um, and briefing what we'll be working on coming up to launch. Oh, I'm super stuck with Rosie. Do I need to repeat anything? Can everyone hear me? Okay. 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 Um, okay, I'll continue. Um, uh, so we're excited to be working creatively for our church and just produce good vibes visually. Um, yeah, so if, yep, what, should I um, repeat anything? Sorry, I've just been messaged um, that my voice will be soft. I'm okay? Okay. Um, yeah, so uh, yeah, that will be kind of what we'll be working on. Uh, additional things will come along the way when things are more concrete and we'll have our vision and mission statement ready. Um, so I think mainly our practice in the beginning of July. Um, there's a lot for us to prepare. So um, to share prayer points, um, first will be to be God-centered and missional, have a missional mindset. Um, so focusing on God and bringing, bringing him glory, which will naturally bring the team in unity. Um, and along with like unity, not to fall into temptation of glorying for our works because design is a very subjective uh, thing. So it's 
easy to start crazy work rather than fix it up with that talent. So um, yeah, like those two be my prayer points. That's it. <laughs> thank you, Joan. And thank you for uh, leading the creative uh, ministry. Excited. I really um, kind of feel like creative and all the creative endeavors are really important to a church. Um, um, you know, God's a beautiful God and he's designed the world in such a beautiful way. And I think that's just our way to kind of imitate him or just even try to reflect uh, his beauty um, and make him known. And so really excited for creative ministry. Um, we've got two questions I kind of want us to share. And so if you're in a, a home, you share it amongst yourselves. If you're kind of online, uh, Daniel has um, split us up into breakout rooms, I believe. And so the questions uh, that I want us to go through, I'll just post them here, uh, is this. Out of the who, uh, the why, and the how of ministry, uh, which stood out to you the most, if any, and why? Oh, what happened here? Okay, ignore that. Ask them how to join their rooms. Okay, uh, number two, which of the two is more difficult for you? Uh, good, <coughs> sorry, good words or good works? And then, and then share. And so which one do you kind of struggle with more? Um, and then we'll, we'll come back. We'll come back. Um, oh, we'll come back about 10.50. Uh, I know that's not a lot of time. Uh, hopefully for those of you in the in the homes you can keep talking about it um if you're going to stay for lunch or not um but um yeah let's split off <laughs>